Thanks for joining us at the Ham South Podcast Network. If you're interested in joining us in our services, we meet at 10am on a Sunday at 131 or Hoporo in Melbourne. We'd love to see you there. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Neon Kids Program. Neon is a before and after school care and school holiday program for primary and intermediate students. Neon has two centres operating in Rotatuna and in Melville. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz. Now. So, have you ever had questions about your faith? Has someone or something ever wormed its way into your mind and planted like little seeds of doubt? Or have you ever wavered within yourself and thought, even if it was just for a moment, wondered, but what if? The chances are, if you're human, then you've probably experienced some moments like that throughout your life. I mean, I know I certainly have. But do you know who else experienced moments like this? The people of Colossae, the Colossians. So this week we are launching into a new series that will take us through the book of Colossians. And so the book of Colossians, it features in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's letters, this one written to the church of Colossae. And it was written to them at a time when there were some false prophets um, within their midst who were going around saying different things and causing the Colossians to ask questions of their Christian faith. And you know what? I've always thought that these letters that Paul wrote to these different churches, especially these ones that we see in the Bible, I always figured that they were written to like the big churches, you know, the powerful churches. I imagined that if Paul were still alive today and he were writing to different churches, he'd probably write to Hillsong or to Bethel. Maybe in New Zealand, he'd write to Life Church or Arise Church, maybe C3. You know, he'd write to those churches that were pumping. You know, the ones with the most power, the most influence, the most people. Because, you know, he could probably get things done that way. But it turns out that the church at Colossae, it wasn't a big or a flashy or a powerful church. In fact, the town of Colossae was quite the opposite. And there isn't, unfortunately, much information that has been recorded about the town of Colossae. But what we do know is that it was an agricultural town, and it was situated in what we know today as Turkey. Um, Colossae had had its time in in the sun. At one point, it was a powerful city, and a big city, and like a notable one. But um, its neighbouring cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis... I believe, um, had stolen some of its shrine. And so in Paul's day, when he was writing this letter, the town of Colossae was fairly insignificant. And then around the year 61 AD, there was a massive earthquake that rocked that region, which was prone to happening in that area. And so the town of Colossae, it was destroyed. And the neighbouring towns like Laodicea and Hierapolis, they were also devastated. But Laodicea in particular, it rebuilt quickly and it re-established itself. But there is no evidence that the town of Colossae ever was rebuilt at all. And so we don't know a whole lot about the town of Colossae as it is. And it turns out that Paul himself, who wrote this letter to them, he probably never even went there. So Paul, he was called to share the good news with the Gentiles. 
but he realised early on that there were a lot of Gentile towns and cities around that he was never going to be able to get to just as one man. And so he called on some trusted believers, some trusted friends to go on his behalf and to begin sharing the good news with all of these towns that Paul intended to get to on his travels, but some of them he never actually got there. And so one of his co-laborers was a guy named Epaphras, and he was the first one to go and to share the good news with the city of Colossae. And he effectively planted or helped them to plant their first Christian church. And so Paul's letters to the Colossians are simply based off reports that he received from Epaphras, who had been there, and letters based off letters that he received from the people of Colossae himself. Themselves, sorry. And so because this book is written as a response to Epaphras' report in the Colossians' letters, it's a little bit like listening to someone talk on the phone, where you can hear them talking, but you don't know who's on the other end or what they're saying, so you're just getting kind of half of the conversation. But luckily, Paul gives a few little hints here and there and some indications as to what was concerning him in Colossae at the time. So as I said before, there were false prophets um, and these philosophers, is what Paul refers to them as, within the community of Colossae. And they were trying to undermine the Colossians' faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And so Paul wrote this letter to them, affirming their faith and encouraging them to have confidence in the hope that they have in Christ. And so he warned them about being deceived by these false prophets, these philosophers, um, and yeah, encouraged them to really dig into Christ as they, I guess, wrestled probably with what these philosophers were telling them. He also reminded them again of the new life that they live in Christ and how they should go about living that life. But while Paul shares his concerns, he gives them warning and things like that. More importantly, the purpose of this letter is to fully assure the Colossians and to encourage them to be confident in their hope and faith and to continue to love one another. And if you were here last week, Shannon also highlighted that a main focus of this letter to the Colossians um, for Paul was proclaiming the supremacy of Christ and calling the Colossians to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus as the author and perfecter of their faith. And so today, we're kicking off this series, and we're going to start with the start of the letter, because that's the logical place to start. And so if you would like to turn with me now to um, Colossians chapter 1, and we're reading verses 1 to 14. And I'll just pray as we get into it. Father God, we thank you for your word to us, for scripture that is, that is alive because you have breathed into it, God. We thank you for your word and for its relevance today, just as it was relevant back when it was first written, Father. We ask that today and throughout the series on Colossians that you would speak to us, that you would help us to open up these scriptures and to understand your word to us today. But Father, we thank you for your word and for the gift that it is to us. And we ask that you would help us to honour it as we read through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, starting from verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy, 
We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you, it's going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will honour and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people, who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So this letter, it pretty much follows Paul's classic kind of letter writing technique. He begins with a greeting um, to those he's writing to, then he shares thanksgiving and prayers for those people, and then he gets into the nitty-gritty details of the letter and shares his concerns and his advice and all that sort of stuff. And so what we've read, this verses 1 to 14, that captures the greeting, which are the first three verses where he says, hello, and tells them, usually he tells them who's writing um, with him. And then it captures the first part of his thanksgiving and prayer for the Colossians. We'll cover the rest of it next week. So in this thanksgiving that Paul shares with the Colossians, he goes to a favorite triad of his, faith, hope, and love. But this time, it's faith, love, and hope. And maybe you recognize this triad from when he used it in 1 Corinthians 13, when he's talking about love, and there's that famous verse that says, um, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But here in Colossians, in verses 4 and 5, we read, For we have heard of your faith, in Jesus Christ, in your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. So rather than like in the 1 Corinthians passage where Paul highlights love, in this setting to the Colossians, he is highlighting hope. 
He doesn't say that hope is the greatest of these, like he does with love, but he acknowledges that the Colossians' faith and love come from their confident hope in God. The NIV translation says it quite nicely, where it says that their faith and love spring from the hope they have in God. So Paul always prays for the Colossians, and he gives thanks for them because he has heard of the faith that they have in Jesus Christ and the love they have for all of God's people, his brother, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul, he recognises that their deep faith and their great love are coming from or only coming from their confident hope in what God has reserved for them in heaven. And then the end of verse 5, the kind of the second part to that says, you have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The Colossians, they have deep faith because they know the truth of the good news. The Colossians, they share great love for one another because they know the truth of the good news. And the Colossians' faith and love, they come from their confident hope that is secured in the truth of the good news. So what is the good news? What is this good news that inspires deep faith, great love, and confident hope? Turn to those around you this morning and try and sum up the good news in just one sentence. Did anyone manage to kind of mash the whole of the good news into just one sentence? Did anyone have a fair attempt at it that they'd like to share with us? Maybe? It is pretty difficult. Oh, yes, Carol. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. I like that. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, John 3:16 to be yep, to be fair, I thought a lot about that when I was writing this. Anyone else? Adrian, yeah. Nice. I like that. Thank you. It is really difficult, isn't it? We did this at Kerry, and I was like, just lost. I was like, how do we do it? And I think I did also draw on John 3.16, because it, I mean, it's a great verse. It does a good job of summing it up. Um, because it's so difficult to be able to even kind of clearly articulate the gospel sometimes just, I mean, with unlimited words, let alone kind of mash it into one sentence. But... I've put an attempt together here, and heads up, I have drawn directly on John 3, 16 and 17 to put it together, but this is what I came up with. 
The good news is that God loves us so deeply that he was willing to send his son as one of us into this world, not to condemn or judge us, but to show us the Father's heart. And if we choose to believe in the name of the Son and the power of God who sent him and resurrected him, then we are saved and we will be gifted eternal life with our heavenly Father. That's a, it's a really long sentence. There's a lot of commas in there. Um, a lot of commas in it, definitely. As I was reading it, I had to really think about reading it to make it sound like one sentence, because it should probably be more than one. The kind of sentence that in my essays for Kerry, there often was little marks, like, this sentence runs on. This should be more than one sentence. Anyway, like I said, I did draw a lot from John 3, 16 and 17, which is two sentences, so I can't really claim credit for it. Um, But another instance where I think that John in his gospel um, has done a stellar job with summarising the good news is in John 1, verses 1 to 18. I think they're putting the words up on the screen. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell others about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. What John captures here is God's story, right from the very beginning. And what I love about this particular passage, this kind of interpretation of the good news, is that it is built upon and centred around Christ. And I think that for while we're looking at Colossians, this interpretation fits very well with what Paul is trying to get across to them. Like I said earlier, Paul never actually went to Colossae. Instead, Epaphras went in his place. And Paul gives Epaphras um, a shout out for his good work with the Colossians in verse 7 and 8. 
And also, as I said earlier, Paul is seeking to affirm and to encourage the Colossians with his letter to them. And so he gives them, he shares with them a bit of good news, just like good news that we read um, in verse 6 when he says, The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So here Paul is encouraging the Colossians by calling them to remember when the good news came into their lives. Paul tells them that the same good news, the gospel that they heard from Epaphras, has been shared far and wide, and now they are seeing the fruits. All over the world, they are seeing lives changed and transformed, just as it changed and transformed their own lives when they first heard and understood the truth of God's grace. Because the gospel in itself, in its essence, is an altered reality. Light came into darkness, and the darkness could no longer overcome it. God became man to dwell with his people. Jesus died and experienced momentary separation from God so that God's people wouldn't have to. Unfailing love and faithfulness, God's own heart, has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ, and from his abundance, we receive blessing upon blessing. We have been reborn, and we have been given the right to become children of God when we believe in and accept Jesus Christ. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's incredible power to live within us and to empower us. And we have been offered eternal life with our Heavenly Father to dwell in paradise and worship Him forevermore. The gospel, the good news, it alters life as we know it. And it altered the Colossians' lives as they knew it. And Paul encourages them to remember, to remember the transformational time when they first heard the good news. So when did you first hear the good news of the gospel? Just take a moment now to remember that, to personally reflect and consider what happened in your heart or in your life when you first came across this good news. So Paul, he has already told the Colossians quite near the start of his letter that he prays prays for them. But from verse 9 to 14, he describes the nature and the contents of his prayer for them. And prayer, I mean, as it should be, was so central to Paul's mission, to Paul's calling and to everything that he did. And it makes sense, considering that he always began his letters to the churches with prayer and thanksgiving for them. Paul says he has not stopped praying for them. He has not stopped interceding for the Christians in Colossae, 
since the day he heard about them. And I mean, that's a lot of prayer power. And I can only imagine, or I pretty much know that Paul definitely wasn't only praying for the church in Colossae at that time. But that is a lot of prayer power going into it for them. And what Paul asks for on behalf of the Colossians is that they would be filled with the fullness of God in Christ, that they would receive spiritual wisdom and understanding and receive knowledge of God's will for their lives and their church. And Paul prays this for the Colossians so that they might live lives that honour the Lord and so that their church and their personal lives may produce every kind of good fruit. Just as the spread of the good news across the whole world has been fruitful, Paul prays that the church of Colossae and each of the Colossians will also bear spiritual fruit as they walk in Christ's way and seek to grow his kingdom among their own community. And Paul, who probably knew the importance of this more than most, he prays that the Colossians would seek God as their strength so that they would have all of the endurance and patience that they needed to continue in their faith. Paul also asks that they be filled with joy as they continuously thank God, who has invited all of his people to share in his inheritance. But not only has God invited all of his children to share in his inheritance— He's also rescued them from the kingdom of darkness, which is this world. And he's transferred his children into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, the one who purchased our freedom and forgiveness. These were the things that Paul never ceased to pray for the people in Colossians. Paul did not stop praying for those people. And you know what? I think I could use some of that. It seems that this week has just been one of those weeks. My grand, she'd been in hospital for about a week or eight days or so. She's home now, um, and it wasn't anything too serious. She was just in a lot of pain. But now that she's home, she needs a lot of help. She needs someone to pretty much be there constantly with her to help her make her lunch, do odd jobs around the house, you know, tidy up, that sort of thing. And she gets some help from the DHB staff, but she needs someone there with her most of the time. So a lot of my time this week has been spent just around there, just mainly sitting there. I mean, she reads the paper, watches Coronation Street and whatever, but I can be there to get up and get her a glass of water or whatever she needs. And then little Lexi, Shannon and Holly's girl, she broke her arm this week. She fell over pushing her trolley. And so Shannon's been off looking after her all of this week. And I mean, I was there, I witnessed part of it and trying to keep a almost walking one-year-old from standing up and falling over onto her cast is quite a, quite a big job to do. And so I think Lexi just really knew the right way to secure some more time with Dad rather than having to start at daycare this week. But then on Monday night, we had an elders meeting and a couple of the elders there, they shared about family members who were sick or injured, who were needing prayer. And then I've had conversations with a few different members of the congregation who also are unwell or their family members are unwell. And then close family friends, some of you will know the Tarbottons, they lost Nikki's dad this week. 
And so that's just another thing. It's been one of those weeks. And so I think we should take a note from Paul and spend some time this morning praying for one another within this church family. Paul was devoted to his congregations in prayer. Sometimes it was the only way that he could kind of be with them, just like he was with the Colossians. Because the good news, it doesn't just burst into your life and change you and then go away. The good news bursts into your life and transformation begins from that moment on. The good news is that we have been reconciled to God through Christ. And now nothing stands between us and God. And he wants to draw us, his children, closer and closer to himself. And Paul knew that transformation wasn't just a one-off occurrence. He knew it was an ongoing process. And that's why he committed himself to praying for those in his congregations, for li- to lifting them up to God in prayer. Because he was concerned with the ongoing transformation and he knew the bumps and the highs and the lows of the road that lay ahead for them as they grew in Christ. And so remember, this congregation, it is as much each of yours as it is mine, and we have to take the time to care for one another and encourage one another as we walk along this journey of faith and continue along this journey of transformation. And I mean, I'm sure there are many more needs than those that I've just listed this morning. So I think we should just take some time with those around us. Share your prayer needs if you have them. Um, And then take some time together just to pray for one another and to encourage one another this morning. Maybe if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can just take some time yourself. But maybe take the time at least to hear the needs of those around you. And you can pray personally today and throughout the week. But let's care for one another. Let's lift one another up to God and ask that he be there for us and that we receive his strength through this time. We'll give you a few minutes to do that and then the band will come forward and do one final song. But take some time now to care for one another. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. Before you go, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Neon Kids Program. Neon is a before and after school care and school holiday program for primary and intermediate students. Neon has two centres operating in Rotatuna and in Melville. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz. Thanks again.